So, so I see every week, every week you're all out there in your Packers jerseys and your 49ers and your Cardinals. It's my week to wear a jersey, all right? So, and I see some fellow Bronco fans. And, and then the rest of you. So, <laughs> yeah, we're going to talk about those in the flesh later. Uh, just kidding. Um, I am excited about this Super Bowl. Normally, I encourage people to go watch it with friends and family and kind of use it as an opportunity to outreach. I'm not willing to do that this time because if we lose, I might not seem very much like a Christian. So I'm, I'm going to, you can pray for me about that. Listen, we are in this book of Romans. We've been camping out here for a while and we'll be here really for most of the year. We've been in this incredible passage in Romans chapter 8. And if you missed the last couple weeks, here's a little bit of what we looked at. If you have your Bible, you can actually look at this. In chapter 8, verse 1, it says this amazing news. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For those who are in Christ by faith, for those who are trusting Christ, the scripture declares there's no condemnation for them. Even though they have sinned against God, even though they have ignored God with their thoughts and their words and their actions, even though they have uh, known what's right, as we saw back in Romans 1, it said, uh, we know enough about God just through creation and know he exists, but, but we don't even do what we know. And, and despite that, Romans 8.1 comes and says, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And so then we began to ask last week, well, what would it, how do we know if we're in Christ, right? That promise of no condemnation, no punishment, uh, no hell is only for those who are in Christ. How do I know if I'm in Christ? And so we looked last week at sort of these uh, two different kinds of people that Paul talked about that lived two different ways and had two different mindsets and resulted in two different outcomes. Right? The, the people of the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. Just this world only. All I need is, is, is this world, forget the next. Or even religious people who live in the flesh who go, you know, it's not really about God's power, it's about what I can do, what I can prove, what I can achieve. Versus those who are in the Spirit, who have their minds set on the Spirit and live according to God's word and God's ways and God's love and God's grace. We see that they resulted in different things. If you look back at Romans 8, 6, it says... For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. So, so Paul kind of, that, that's where we were. Paul's going to then begin to, so, so there he raised some questions. Go, are you in Christ? Are you in the spirit? Or are you in the flesh? And if you're answering that question, I, I think I'm in the spirit. By God's grace, I trust Christ and, and I experience his grace and, I, and I'm seeing him work in my life. If, if that's the case then what this next section is going to do is going to really, really hopefully encourage you. You know, um, Matthew and Christy, you know Matthew, he's the big tall guy that leads worship a lot of the time. They're really close friends of ours, and they've got five kids. And uh, they really like to go on vacation without their kids. <laughs> and, um, and I get it. I mean, if, if, you have, if you have five kids or more, I mean, you know just the chaos of that, and it just really does Matthew and Christy good to their hearts to really get some time away and, and stuff like that. So uh, the last, I don't know, last couple years or so, um, they've, they've asked Molly and I if we would watch a few of their kids. They're not even willing to give us all of them because they know how chaotic that would be. But, so we'll take uh, usually the oldest, I think we took the oldest four this past time. And so that meant our two kids and their four kids, and they stayed with us for, I think, three or four days. And um, it was great to have them there. It was great for them to leave. 
Right? And those of you who are grandparents, you understand this. You love having your grandkids around. You, you love having them there. It, it creates all this life and energy in your home. But you're happy to see them go. Right? It, and so what you, what you learn from that is there's a difference between having someone visit, even stay with you for a little while, and having someone move in. It's wonderful to have the Brazzle kids visit. I'm not sure I'm ready to have them move in, like permanently, right? And what this passage is about, this passage we're going to look at today, is the idea that the Holy Spirit is not just visiting his people. He's not just staying with his people for a short time. He's not with his people today and gone tomorrow. He moves in. We, as the people of God, are the home of the Holy Spirit. And as we're going to see today, that carries with it a privilege and a responsibility. But it's a huge, huge blessing. So let's look at this uh, first. Uh, First thing, we've got kind of three points today. The people who are the home of the Spirit, the privilege of being the home of the Holy Spirit, and the responsibility of being the home of the Holy Spirit. So first, the people who are the home of the Holy Spirit. Grab your Bible again and look at verse 9. Here's what Paul says. He says, you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now now remember, when Paul's talking in this particular passage about flesh and spirit, he's talking about two different realms, two different uh, spheres, if you will. So, So in Galatians 5, he talks about, you know, walking according to the flesh. Christians sometimes struggle with sin, but but then they need to focus on the Spirit. That's not what he's talking about here. He's not talking about the Christians struggle with sin. He's talking about these two realms. We looked at it back in chapter 5. We talked about it, if you were here, as kind of the car carts, right? The kids love riding around in the car carts at the grocery store, and that we come into the world in the atom cart. That's the sphere. That's the realm we're in. That's the flesh. Whenever we see in the flesh, we could just say in Adam, who we naturally are apart from God. But then we're moved by faith in Christ through his grace into the Christ cart. We, we move into the spirit. And so this is what Paul's saying. You're not in the flesh. You're not in, in Adam. You're not in your old life of sin, but in the spirit, if in fact the spirit of God dwells in you. This word dwell means to live in or to make a home in. Uh, the message, which is a paraphrase Eugene Peterson wrote, Uh, describes it as taking up residence. The Holy Spirit takes up residence. That's what this particular word means. And here's the amazing news of this passage. Listen again. You, however, are not in the flesh but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. Now, Paul writes that negatively. If you don't have the Spirit, you don't belong to Christ. But you know what this means? This means that every Christian has the Spirit. Every Christian has had the Spirit of God dwell in him or her. Now the reason that's so important is because there are some sort of branches of Christianity that have a teaching that's kind of like this. You get saved by faith in Christ, but then you get the Spirit later through some other experience. So it's kind of like you can become a Christian. Yeah, you're on the JV team. But you don't move to varsity until you get the Spirit. And oftentimes in in those traditions, it's until you speak in tongues. 
And some of you grew up in traditions like that. And some of you have spoken in tongues. And some of you have really tried hard to speak in tongues and say, God, help me to speak in tongues. And you've wondered, do I have the Spirit? And you know what this passage says? If you're in Christ, you have the Spirit. If you're in Christ, the Spirit of God is not just visiting. He's moved in. He has taken up residence. He is in you. This begins to shape our identity as the people of God. I was watching an interview lately with, uh, recently with a, an athlete, and, and, and they, you know, he is making a big deal. I'm just, I'm just trying to be who I am. I'm just trying to be who I am. And they said, well, who are you? And he said, well, I'm not who people think I am. <laughs> he couldn't answer the question. He's all about, I'm not who, I'm, I'm, I am who I am. Who? Who are you? He couldn't answer what about you? Who are you? Who are you really? What's your identity? We have these pieces of identity we, we craft and understand, right? I'm, I'm a dad, and I'm a husband, and I'm a pastor, and I'm a man. And I mean, there's all these parts of identity, but who are you at your core? Well, here's what the Scripture teaches. Romans teaches this beautifully, is that if you're a Christian, you have three key parts of your identity, all of them based on the triune God. If you are a Christian, you are a child of the Father, you are the bride of the Son, and you are the home of the Holy Spirit. Child of the Father, we're going to look at that next week, actually, when we push into this reality that, that the Spirit doesn't just move in, but He adopts us. We're, we're children of the Father in Christ. We're the bride of the Son. We talked about that all through Romans 6, that we've been united to Christ. And that's all that, that kind of marriage and union imagery. We're, we're children of the Father, we're the bride of the Son, and we're the home of the Holy Spirit. That's what this passage is saying. Think about how that could change the way you think about yourself. Think about how that could change the way you kind of go, who am I really? Am I, am I mostly a wife and that just defines my whole thing? Am I mostly a, an employee? Does that define? No, no, here's who I am. I'm a child of the Father. I'm a bride of the Son. I'm the home of the Holy Spirit. We're the people, by faith in Christ, who are the home of the Holy Spirit. It's incredible news. God dwells in us. Now, now think about this. This is one of the things that makes Christianity absolutely unique. No other religion claims that God would come and live in you. Right? In Eastern religions, there's this sense of you're trying to sort of uh, get in touch with, with all the different energy sources and things in the world. and So you're trying to kind of connect to God. right? Muslims would never say that God would come live in you. They would go, no, no, no. There's no way a God could come live in, in your you know, sinful body. But, but the, the Scripture says that Jesus Christ has made you so clean that you are now the home of God the Spirit. That's amazing. No other religion claims that. Which means you're not just trying to like, you know, oh God, if I could ever get close to you. He has moved in. So when, when you say, and I've said this before, man, I just feel far from God. You know what that means, really? Because I'm not far from God. I know I'm not. He, he's moved in. He, he dwells in me. What it means is I, I've forgotten my identity. I've forgotten who this makes me, who I really am. So we're the people we're the home of the Holy Spirit. But, but that leads then to a privilege. There's a privilege that comes with that. I mean, that's incredible news in and of itself, but here's the privilege of being the home of the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 10. But if, the, but if Christ is in you, 
Although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So again, you have this idea that God dwells in us. What's the privilege that comes with that? I mean, you might go, God dwells in me. What do I do with that? What does that mean? That sounds really hard to get my arms around. Okay, well, here's some things that it means. It means that the, the body of sin that you carry around, the power of that is broken, right? Look at the beginning of verse 10. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. Do you know why your body is decaying and dying? Sin. The reason we're naturally, when we come to the world, separated from God, and the reason that we fade and and get old and die is because of sin. Now, I'm not saying if someone drops dead, it's because of a specific sin they committed, but the reality of sin in the world means that we're dying. Here's how Martin Lloyd-Jones described it. He said this. He said, the moment we enter into this world and begin to live, we also begin to die. Your first breath is one of the last you will ever take. Isn't that thoughtful? I mean, I'm going to have a baby, you know, next July, and it's like, welcome, you're dying. That's what he's saying, right? We're on our way to decay. The principle of decay leading to death is in every one of us. You go, well, that's so sad, that's so morbid, that's so negative. Yeah. It's not, it doesn't feel right, does it? You don't like that, do you? Because it's not how it's supposed to be. It's not how God originally designed things. Now, God is in his sovereignty and providence allowed us to sin and allowed us to go down this course, but, but we're decaying because of sin. And, and yet the Holy Spirit coming into us, what Paul says is, that changes that reality for those who are in Christ. If Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. You have life, even though you are separated from God, even though you're on this path away from him and toward decay, you get life because of righteousness. Now, this is a key question. Look at verse 10. Look at the end there. The Spirit is life because of righteousness. So so our sin brings death. Righteousness brings life. Whose righteousness? isn't ours our righteous deeds are like filthy rags he said in romans 3 there is no one righteous no not one so the righteousness that we get that brings us life is by the spirit it's christ's righteousness credited to us by faith here's how ray ortland jr says it he says this the christian life is primarily something to be received from on high not offered from below you get that Has that sunk into you? Even those of you who would consider yourselves Christians, it's not about you offering something. God, I hope you'll be pleased with this. God, I hope you'll do this. God, if if you don't like this, I'm I'm hopeless. No, no, no. Do we want to please the Lord? Yes, absolutely. But, But our life is based on Him giving righteousness to us. The Spirit is life because of righteousness, His righteousness. But it gets even better. This, this life that we begin to experience now, where even though we're, our bodies are still dying, we're connected to Christ, we're alive in Christ, the, the future hope we have is amazing. Look at verse 11. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead 
dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Do you get what he's saying? If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, did, did, did God the Father by his spirit raise his son from the dead? Yes. If that's true, it's, it's really, it's not as much if, it's more like since. Since this happened, since Christ was raised from the dead, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also raise you from the dead. That's what he's saying. He will give life to your mortal body. You know what mortal means? It means dying. It means faulty. It means broken. So even though we come into the world as a baby, first breath is one of our last What this promises is that when we actually take our last breath on this earth, it's not our last. And it's so sure, right? This is not like, oh, I I hope that will happen. This is so sure. He says, did Christ, did, did this happen to Jesus? Was Jesus raised from the dead? Yes. Then you will be too. I mean, this is a sure hope. This is not like the hope with which I watch the Super Bowl tonight, okay? Like, I'm, I'm, I'm just going, man, I hope we win. Think we're gonna win, but the Seahawks are good, and oh, I hope, right? I, I was asking my daughters. We were talking about at breakfast this morning. We were, I was asking them, you know, do you think God cares about who wins the Super Bowl? And uh, my oldest, Abby, said, "Well, you know, most of the sunsets are orange and blue, <laughs> so I said that's a great point." Yeah. And we talked about more of that question, but, right, I mean, I, I'm going to watch that and go, oh, I hope we win, I hope we win, I hope we win. That's not how a Christian lives. A Christian doesn't go, oh, I hope there's life after death. I hope this isn't the end. Right, and some of us, are, we're so young, we can't even fathom this. The older you get, the more pains and aches you feel, the more people you know and love who've passed on, the more you begin to really ask, is this it? Is there life beyond this? life? Yes. Because if you have the Spirit, the Spirit dwells in you, and that Spirit is the one who raised Christ from the dead, and He's in you, and He'll raise you from the dead. There is eternal life, resurrected life, in a new, perfect body. So here's what's been amazing to me, as I've been thinking about this this week, is I've always envisioned, you know, a a resurrected body. What would that look like? And I've thought, well, not this. And I thought, well, maybe like when I was 18. Right, you kind of pick your age, right? Maybe some of you it's now. Congratulations. <laughs> Can only get worse from here. <laughs> but, but here's what, even the 18-year-old body was decaying, was aging, was susceptible to sickness and disease and death. We're going to be raised in a body that's imperishable. That's amazing. That just blows me away. What a privilege to be the home of the Holy Spirit. Here's what else I love about this. I've told you that the big theme of Romans 8 is the security of God's children. You know what this reminds me? That that the Spirit has come, He dwells in us, He promises to raise us who are in Christ. What this means is, is God doesn't practice daisy theology. That's what I've heard someone call it. Daisy theology. You know what that is? He loves me. He loves me not. He loves me. He loves me not. Right? Picking off the petals. And, and sort of each day is, oh, I hope God loves me. He loves me. 
he loves me not. No, no, no. Every day, for those who are the home of the Holy Spirit, who are promised to be raised with Christ, he loves you. Be encouraged. This is incredible news. Now, now with that kind of privilege, with any kind of privilege, always comes responsibility. With privilege comes responsibility. And there's a lot of strength for us to live out this responsibility. So let's talk finally about the responsibility of being the home of the Holy Spirit. This is where we uh, go to verse 12 now. Verse 12 says, so then, brothers, so then, Right, anytime you read that, you have to go, well, what's he talking about? So then, in light of what? Well, in light of this incredible reality that the Spirit has come to live in you, to take residence in you, in light of this reality that he is going to raise you, in light of this incredible privilege, so then, privilege involves responsibility. You've been given this great privilege. What responsibility goes with it? Well, he, he says this. This is really interesting, this how he, how he phrases this. He says, so then, brothers, we are debtors. There is responsibility, right? If you have a debt, there's a responsibility. There's an obligation involved. We are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. Now, you would expect him to say, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh, but to the spirit. Wouldn't you expect him to say that? I mean, he's constantly going, flesh, spirit, flesh, spirit, flesh, spirit. He says, so then, in light of this, you have a responsibility but not to the flesh. And then he never says it about the Spirit. I think it's just implied. But the reality is, as the children of God, we have a responsibility. Now, it's not a kind of responsibility that earns us merit. It's just the reality of we've been invited into this incredible privilege of having God with us. Someone has said, as the people of God, we have a great job title and a terrible job description. Our job title is Ambassador of Christ. Our job description, slave. Great job title, bad job description. See, he emphasizes here, we're debtors, not to the flesh. You don't owe the flesh anything. That flesh, remember what we talked about is that the flesh is that idea of this world only. What what can I do? My strength, my effort. You don't owe that anything. Flesh also involves disobedience and, and sensuality and just living for all the pleasure you can get. He says, you don't owe the flesh anything. Right, a few years ago, we moved from, we were in kind of North Gilbert and we moved out to Queen Creek. And, uh, and we went through the whole process. Our house was inspected. You know, we did all the things. We sold it. And, uh, and then we moved into our new home. Well, imagine that, that the people who live in our old home came to us and said, hey, uh, we want to paint our, the house you sold us. And we'd like you to pay for it. What would we say? No. It's ridiculous. We, we don't owe you anything. Right? If there had been something broken in the house that we hadn't disclosed, I mean, that'd be a different story. But, but you're, you're just, there's this thing you want. Okay, well, we don't owe you. We have no responsibility to you. That's not our house anymore. Here's what Paul's saying. You've moved out of the flesh. That's your old house. That's your old way. You live here now. And so when the flesh comes to you and says, hey, do what you want. Forget other people. Just think about yourself. You can go, I, I moved out of there. I don't owe the flesh anything. My responsibility is not to myself. My responsibility is not to the flesh. My responsibility now is to the Spirit. Well, what is that responsibility? Here it is. Verse 13. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. 
You you stay in this realm of me only, self only, it leads to death. We already said that. If you live according to the flesh, you'll die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. By the Spirit, put to death the deeds of the body. What he's talking about is you've been declared righteous. You've moved out of the flesh into the Spirit. You have received the righteousness from on high, and yet remains in you some indwelling sin. Some continual things that make you kind of look back at the old house and go, man, I, I used to like the pantry in there, and I, I used to like the, the whatever, right? And you want to go back. And and what he's saying is, now that you have the Spirit, your responsibility is to put to death the deeds of the flesh that remain. You've moved out of the flesh, but the flesh hasn't entirely moved out of you. And so the responsibility we have as the home of the Holy Spirit is to, to try to fight that indwelling sin, to try to remove it. Well, how do we do that? We do it, interestingly here, he says, by the Spirit. So I love how Paul does this. I love how the Lord thinks in inspiring his word because they know, the Lord knows, Paul knows, that our tendency would be to go, okay, well, if I'm going to do this, if I'm going to put to death the deeds of the body, I better work hard. I better resolve. I better have a lot of intensity. I better really try hard. And instead, what does he say? Do it by the Spirit. It's the Spirit that we're relying on. It's the Spirit we're depending on. We're not doing it in our own strength. We're not doing it in our our own effort. We're doing it with Him. And this is a responsibility. We're we're new people. We're new creatures. We have a new identity. We're children of the Father. We're the bride of the Son. We're the home of the Holy Spirit. And that identity changes things. It changes how we live. My father-in-law, when when Molly was young, uh, would often drop her and the other kids off at school and or practice, or other places, and he would say, now remember, you're a bush, was her maiden name. Remember, you're a bush. That's your identity. Represent that well. Live in light of that new reality. You are a child of God. Verse 13, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body you will live. So listen, something's going to die. Either you're going to die because you're in the flesh, or when you've moved to the Spirit, sin is going to die. But something's going to die. That's how this works. And so we do this by the Spirit. So that begins to just raise all kinds of questions. What does that mean? Okay, putting to death the deeds of the body, I'm, I'm trying to fight sin. So for you, just think about what are the top couple sins that plague you? All right, let's start sharing. We'll start, no. <laughs> I, I hope something's come to mind. If it hasn't, you're, you're so just enveloped in your own world that you, you don't even see it. But chances are you, you thought of something. Might be your anger. Might be your jealousy. Might be alcohol. Might be sex. It might be food, it might be a relationship, it might be spending, it might be those shoes you just can't resist. Whatever it is. What, what comes to mind? Well, the scripture here is calling us by the Spirit as the home of the Holy Spirit, not in order to try to get the Spirit, but because we already have Him, to put to death those things, to fight against those things. The, the old word, John Owen wrote this, it was this Puritan that wrote this book, the mortification of sin. 
the killing of sin, the murder of sin. I'm going to fight sin. All these things, I'm not going to make peace with them. I'm not going to go, well, that's just how I am. That's just my personality. I've always been that way. Yeah. That's the problem. And it led you on a path toward death. And now God has mercifully pulled you out of there and said, now get rid of that. And it's going to be a battle, and it's going to take time. And, and, and chances are you're going to lose a lot along the way. And you're going to struggle, and you're going to fall down, and you're going to go, I don't know if this will ever change. But you're the home of the Spirit. So, so you've, got to, you've got to fight it. You've got to try. But, but you've got to try to fight this by the Spirit. How do you do that? Well, I think that leads to a couple of things. It means I'm going to try to do this in God's power. With God's motivation. So in other words, if, if my battle is with, say, say alcohol, I'm not going to go, you know what, i got to prove this to myself. I'm stronger than this. I can do better. That's, that's fleshly motivation. It's not even, i got to prove it to my family. i got to prove. No, no, no. It's I'm going to do this to honor the Lord. I'm going to do this because uh, nothing should master me except Jesus. So, so some of it is just the, the power, the motivation that we're accessing, that we're thinking about. The other way that we, that we put sin to death by the Spirit is to be so filled with the Spirit that we don't even want sin, right? So some of you know this. You know the experience of going to the grocery store on an empty stomach. There's a huge difference, right, when you go to the grocery store on an empty stomach versus a full stomach, right? You go on an empty stomach and you're buying all kinds of stuff that later when you get home you're like, what was I thinking? I don't need that. I don't really want that. Well, how do we be less enticed by sin? We get filled with the Spirit. He's at home in us. He dwells in us. We want to be filled with Him. You go, okay, well, how does that work? What is it? You've talked about dwelling in us and now being filled with the Spirit. Well, here is, is, I think, the most helpful way to understand what it is to have the Spirit dwell in you and what it is to have the Spirit fill you. Some of you have heard me share this. I share it probably once a year or so. It's the, the idea of chocolate milk. Best way to think about being filled with the Spirit and, and, and having the Spirit dwell in you is to think about how you make chocolate milk. Now, I love, don't you love chocolate milk? I mean, it just makes, takes you back to like second grade. Right? The, the way you make chocolate milk is you get, a, you get a big glass and you pour milk in. And it's best if it's a clear glass, right? So you can just really see all of it. Just picture that. There's a big clear glass. There's milk. And then you got to get the, the syrup, right? And there's all, all kinds of syrup you can use, but I, I like the Hershey's, right? And you just <laughs> squirt the syrup right in there, right? And, and you, know what, you know what happens? When you become a Christian, you receive the Spirit. When you become a Christian, the Spirit now indwells you. When you become a Christian, it's as if God has the Spirit and goes... <laughs> and now the Spirit's in you, right? The chocolate is in the milk. It's in there. It's made a home there. But the question is, has the, has the chocolate filled the milk? No. You don't have chocolate milk yet. You just have milk with chocolate syrup in the bottom. Right? And when you become a Christian, it's, it's you, cleaned and new, with the Spirit in you. But, but then, if you want to put to death the deeds of the body by the Spirit, you've got to be filled with the Spirit. Well, how do you get filled with the Spirit? The same way you, you make chocolate milk. You stir up the milk. You stir, up, right, you stir up that sauce, you stir up the milk, and soon the milk begins to turn brown and the chocolate begins to permeate every part of the milk. 
Well, what happens then if you take that chocolate milk and you get distracted or what? I don't know why you wouldn't drink it, but just imagine you didn't drink it, and you put it back in the fridge. You let it sit overnight. When you come back the next day, what's it going to look like? It's going to look a little browner than when you first started, but, but most of the chocolate will have sunk to the bottom again, right? And so before you enjoy that chocolate milk, you got to stir it up again, right? And that's the process for a Christian of waking up every day. Every day you've woken up, and the Spirit is in you, but He's not necessarily filling you because you haven't stirred Him up in your own heart and soul. So this is why we, we, we read God's Word, we listen to God's Word. I'm just amazed at the Bible apps. If you would go, I am not a, I'm not a reader. Well, hopefully you're a listener. Because if you, if you just type in Bible on any of these apps, iPhone, iPad, Droid, any of that stuff, you can find the Bible app, the YouVersion app. You can listen to the Bible anytime you want. right? You can, you can hear, you can read the Bible, you can spend time in God saying, God, fill me. God, use me. God, I... I'm the child of the Father. I'm the son. I'm the bride of the Son. I'm the home of the Holy Spirit. And as you go to God in that way, He begins to fill you. He begins to permeate you. And now you go into the world and you hear the offers of sin and you go, I got a full stomach. I don't, I don't need that bad attitude. I don't need that drink. I don't need that stuff. Because I'm full of the Spirit. So for those of you who are trying to kind of live your Christian life in your own strength and even your Bible reading and your prayer stuff is just kind of a, it's really just a mechanism of the flesh. What I want to invite and challenge you to do is to rethink that whole thing and and say, Spirit, I have you, but fill me, permeate me, make, make, make your reality every part of my life and my choices and my thoughts and my words. What might happen if you did that? I'll tell you what would happen. Increasingly, over time, you would put to death those same sins that plague you. This isn't a one-week thing. It's not even a one-year thing. It's going to take a lot of help. It's going to take a community. It's why we gather in redemption communities. It's why we have a ministry like Redemption Exodus Groups where people gather together to talk about the the places of sin that they're stuck in, the places where they've really tried to battle out of it and and they feel stuck or the hurts that have happened to them. And they gather in those communities and and, and together by the Spirit as God stirs up His people, they see increased victory. This is a huge privilege to have God's Spirit in us. It's an incredible responsibility. And in the end, we end up in these new imperishable bodies with no sin. Conclude with this quote by Ray Ortland Jr. He says this, there is not one ounce of you that will end up in the trash bin of the universe except your sins which you want to leave behind anyway. Let's pray.